Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I am Nike Spalding and we are pressing on in 1 John. We're going to open up chapter 3 today. So 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Ooh, child. Okay. This is one of those passages that has been debated, uh, misused, weaponized, Um, I'll I'll tell y'all, so I went to the University of Oklahoma, Boomer Sooner, huge fan, and the way the campus was kind of designed, it was just really like, there were two ovals, there was a south oval and north oval, and so the the dorms were all on the south end of the campus, and then you would basically walk from the south end toward the north end if you lived in the campus, and you would go to your classes, and so if you were a science major like me, you went to the pretty far north end, if you were an art major, you went very far north, humanities folks, kind of middle of the campus, things like that. And we would have, and I'm sure, I think I've talked to folks who, so y'all, if you went to major campuses or maybe non-Christian campuses, you probably had experience like this. We would every now and then uh, get these men, they're always men, um, and they would be vitriolic screaming at folks about how we were all going to hell. And they would like point at women, like they'd be like, you in the pants, you're a cross-dresser, you're going to burn in hell. And you're like, whoa, Okay. Uh, and then they would always be like, we come in the name of God to prevent you all, you Sodom and Gomorrahites. And it's like, whoa, brother. And uh, and there was always like young men, again, men, who would like uh, yell back and use the Bible. And it was just like, a, it was honestly super entertaining. Uh, and I remember w- one time, I it was sort of late in the evening, and uh, the the crowd had died. There was always a large crowd screaming, yelling, whatever. And the crowd had died down, and there was this guy who, you know, he'd been spending all day screaming at all of us cross-dressing women because we wore pants and shorts and whatever else, and yelled at men with long hair that they were, you know, all kinds of atrocious things. And I remember I, I walked up to him and I said, hey, if you're willing, I would really like to consider what you're selling. <laughs> and uh, and I, he, he believed me, and so he, he literally sat down on the grass, and I sat down on the grass next to him. He's a gentleman at the time, would have been probably in his late 40s or 50s, and I was 18-year-old kiddo. And I just said, 
Okay, I, I'm also a Christian. I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Can you, can you help me understand where you arrive at your conclusions? And this is the passage he took me to. And he was like, listen, do you sin? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, sometimes willfully. Uh, sometimes I know I shouldn't do that. And like Romans says, my feet are swift to rush to evil. And he said, well, then you're going to burn in hell. And he didn't say it like, uh, he wasn't screaming at this point. He was dead serious. And I said, okay, I, what about grace? What about the blood of Christ? And he's like, no. He's like, this passage in 1 John, he's like, this says that if you are of Christ, you do not go on sinning. And I'm going to be honest with y'all. Like I, at that time, I thought I knew my Bible pretty well. Um, and I probably was outpacing my peers maybe a little bit uh, at OU. I wouldn't have been had I been to like a Bible college or anywhere like that. But at OU, you know, it's not exactly a beacon of a Christian institution. And so uh, we do other things well. We do other things well. And, um, and so I, I was, you know, I really didn't have an answer for him. And I left and in earnest went and talked to several friends who led at a campus ministry with me. And I just said, hey, guys, I talked to the crazy guy. And they were like, oh, my gosh, why? And I was like, no, I, I you know, I like to, if truth is truth, it's going to stand up on its own. We should never be afraid to pull back the veil and look deeply at things because God's truth is going to stand. It's not going to fall apart if you believe it's really true. And frankly, if it does fall apart, then stop believing it. And so... I believe that. I've spent my life looking to try and disprove my faith because I was like, gosh, man, I'm, I'm literally betting my life on this thing. It better be true. That's why I, I, I mean, yeah, anyways, neither here nor there. Let me get standpoint here. So I went and asked a bunch of people, and it was it was so interesting. They, Everybody took me to other places of Scripture, but nobody helped me understand what was going on in First John. And the best responses I got were things like, well, that can't be what John really meant. And I agree. Listen. One of the ways that we understand scripture and, and the way that we interpret scripture is if something's unclear or we're not sure, a good hermeneutical method is you go to the clear passages and then you build a foundation and from there you expand out. Okay. And so like, and I, and this is not, I'm not telling you like you don't, you don't, but like there are passages like in Hebrews six, where it seems like we can lose our salvation. And so what we do is we go to passages where it talks about, um, you know, if those who are called are justified, those who are justified, like in the Romans passage, you go to passages that we believe we have a pretty good understanding of what it means. And then from there, you build your argument outward to say, okay, so this Hebrews passage is is difficult to interpret. You don't start with the difficult one. You start with the clear ones and you move outward. So the this this way of addressing this gentleman was not wrong. He, I probably shouldn't call him a gentleman. He was a jerk. He was a huge jerk. But Whatever. He, he was a human and he is broken and fallen. And I don't know, maybe he had pure motives. I don't know. Um, but but I it left me kind of like, well, guys, like, but we still have to contend with this. Like, we can't just ignore John's letter. And so I'm happy to tell you all I have I have wrestled with it and I've spent some time on it. But I know that this I say all that to say, like, I have personally had this weaponized against me, and I have personally wrestled with it. There have been seasons of my life where my my struggle with codependency was so, um, I was so entangled in it that had I had a poor understanding of scripture, I would have read this and been convinced I was going to hell because I knew the sin that I was engaged in, but I did not have the strength on my own to walk away or the tools to, to I, I just kept running toward the path that led to death. 
willfully, willfully. And I don't believe in those seasons I was, I was on my way to hell. And so we're going to jump in and we're going to look at what this passage has to say. So I want to, I want to point out in scripture, especially in these letters, these letters that we have in the New Testament, so many times you have to ask yourself, what is he answering? Like, what is the context? Because context is key to understanding so many things, right? So I love to call people idiots. Uh, it's like almost a term of endearment. And if you only have a transcript of me looking at my brother and being like, you're an idiot, what you might miss is the context of he just beat me in a game of horse. And that's my way of saying, like, because he got a lucky shot that bounced off of three walls and went in. And I'm like, how? How can I serendipitously win this game? And so I call my brother an idiot all the time. I could not esteem and love my brother more, truly. It's my way of being like, oh my gosh, I call myself an idiot all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, it's because I'm an idiot. Now, idiot is a very abrasive, brash word, which is why I ironically use it toward people I care about. No, there are times though that I do mean it in its literal sense of the word. And so hear me, context is king and understanding. So let me remind you the picture that we have going on. There are false teachers in Ephesus who have come into this community and they have wreaked havoc. And, this th- and the thing that they keep saying over and over again is sin is not that important. We are going to, they, they were so licentious. They were so sinful. They were like, look, you're saved anyways. So what does it matter? Like we, we should drink and, and, and sleep with whoever we want and we can do whatever we want and it doesn't matter. That was the message they were peddling. So this is a polemic against that message. Okay. And so if, if I'm a pastor and people are coming in and they're like, sin is no big deal. I'm like, sin is a very big deal. If you belong to Christ, you cannot keep on sinning, which is what John's saying. And so remember the context here isn't, hey, these are all well-meaning Christians and they happen to have struggles like every Christian I know. And, and John's then being like, well, I don't know if you're a believer. That's not what he's doing. He is a pastor who is shepherding a flock, who is disoriented, and they are confused about their salvation. And he is trying to remind them, this is how you can discern a false teacher. This is how you can know you belong to Jesus. Okay? So if you remember, we had a moral test. We had a social test. We had a doctrinal test. John understood the Latin phrase. I'm going to read this Latin phrase to y'all because I want y'all to think I'm super smart. I actually don't know Latin at all, but I looked this up. And it's repetitio est mater studiorum. I have no idea if I even pronounced that correctly. But it's this old Latin phrase that means repetition is the mother of learning. Repetition is the mother of learning. And if you guys have taught ever, you know that's true. So John is going to now cycle back through his tests. So we've already had the first moral, the first social, the first doctrinal, and now we are, we are heading right back into that, and we are going to have um, another moral test. I also, I also want to give credit where credit is due. This concept of these tests, this, like, um, this framework I'm giving you, John Stott first wrote about this in his commentary, and I'm, I'm indebted to his commentary, so I don't want you all to think like I came up with this. It's not true. Uh, smart people stand on the shoulders of giants. And so I'm, I'm borrowing this from him. And so he, so Paul, or excuse me, John, thank you, John, stop. Appreciate it. Uh, yep. The writer, John, let me get back on track here, is writing again to address these false teachers and he's swooping back in to do another moral test. Okay. So I just read it to you and it, uh, basically feels like, gosh, if you sin, you might not be saved, but let's figure out what his point is in this. And the reason, and so again, he's responding to false teachers. So what he's doing is he's grounding sin in the first and second comings of Christ. 
He's, he's saying, listen, the reason why sin is a really big stinking deal is because of Christ. And so he starts by addressing the second coming first, which is interesting. He doesn't, he looks forward first and then he's going to look backward at the first coming. So he looks forward to the second coming. And so he says, listen, someday you will see him and you will be like him, which is awesome. Y'all. Okay. First of all, if you are sometimes overwhelmed uh, by the world, you're tired, maybe you don't like yourself because you have returned to your vomit, as James says, and you've returned to your folly at times, or maybe, um, I don't know, I don't know what the situation is, or maybe you're just like, man, what? maybe you feel like Paul, and you're like, why do I keep doing the things that I'm doing? Like, why is it that, ugh, like I know better, and I keep texting that guy or I know better and I keep buying the 12 pack of ding-dongs and sticking them in the freezer and eating seven of them right like I don't know what it and I'm not making light like look I get it there are oh right listen you get to look forward to the second coming of Christ and when you see him you will be like him you will be purified that is wow There's a day coming when your impulses will not be bad. There's a day coming when you will want the things of God. Not because you have to or because you should, but because you will desire them and you will be fulfilled in your desires because you will desire the good things that are readily available to you. And so we look forward to that day. And so John here is saying, look, we look forward to that day, the second coming when we will see Christ. He's coming back for us. He's coming back. He's not left us here forever. He's coming back for us. And when we see him, we'll be made like him and we'll be purified. Okay, so we will, there's a day coming when whatever negative that's in all of us is going to be gone, wiped away. He grounds that as the reason why we should then walk in purity now. So you look forward to the second coming. You will be made pure. Therefore, Partner in that purity now and say yes to the things that make you pure now. So again, answering the polemic, somebody comes along and they're like, listen, guys, it's no big deal. Screw whoever you want to screw. No, 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 no. You look forward to the day when you will be made like Christ. And so you walk in accordance of that now. This moral litmus test, this obedience test is saying, look, because of Christ, because of my union with him, I'm going to be now what I will be then. I'm going to try my darndest to be now what I will be then. Part of the Christian life is that because his kingdom has already been inaugurated, we are to be now who we will someday be. This is an idea I'm stealing from Peter Lightheart. This idea of like whatever good things are coming in the kingdom of God, we should work to those those ends now. We shouldn't say, well, you know, we're all going to hell in a handbasket, so whatever. No, no. We agree now that we are on a trajectory and we're going to go that way. So that's why we, we look forward to the second coming. And with great delight, we say my union with Christ, the fact that Christ saved me and the spirit put me into him. And now I am sealed for the day to come. And I have been welcomed into the Trinity, not as a fourth member of the Trinity. No, no, no. I'm still a creature. But because I have such a close relationship because of my union with Christ, I'm going to agree now to be what I will be. It's a profound truth and a beautiful truth. So that's the first part is he looks at the second coming first. The second part, then he looks backwards and he says, okay, in light of the first coming of Jesus, Jesus vanquishes sin and death. 
In his first coming, he comes and he takes that stuff out because he is righteous. So therefore, because he has vanquished sin and death, we don't have to, we don't have to live under the tyranny of the devil. Jesus beat him. He went down and got the keys of hell. Right? So this idea that before Christ, we were very obedient slaves to sin. Like we were good at it. Oh, we were so good at it. And if you don't believe me, just read your Old Testament. Holy moly. Right? So we, we were obedient slaves to sin after Christ. After you said yes, you became free from sin. Now, you became free from the penalty of sin, which is justification. And you are looking forward to the day when you will be free from the presence of sin, which is glorification. But right now in this in-between, we live in this process called sanctification, where we are more free all the time from the, uh, from the power of sin, right? So you are freed from the penalty One day you'll be freed from the presence of it. The day is coming when we will not have sin around us. And oh my goodness, I can't even fathom that. But in the meantime, the power of sin over you should be put to death over and over again because you are made like Christ. So John's making the argument, look, the reason why these false teachers need to be dealt with is because one, when you look at the second coming, we're united to him. We are going to be now who already are. We look back and we say, no, 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 my savior kicked the teeth in of sin and death. He is the baddest, baddest man that's ever walked this planet. And he was like, oh, is that the best you got? Throw the best you've got at me. And the enemy was like, great, I will kill you. And normally that would be the the last and greatest enemy was death. And Jesus is like, that's it? That's all you got? And then he flexed and he came out of the grave and he is like, no, that ain't even, even enough. Like your best weapons, I just trampled on them. Harkens us back to Genesis 3 when, when God says, hey, the, the, the serpent will strike at the heel of Eve's offspring, but he will crush his head. That is our inheritance. So when we say we belong to Christ, we are able to say, I don't have to go on sinning because I am now what I will already be. Not in full. I'm failure. I like, I fail all the time. I'm frail. I'm not able to do it perfectly. So the guy who was at OU on the corner and was like, I don't sin. I asked him straight up, do you still sin? He said, no, I don't sin. I was like, you're a liar. Uh, and I wish I would have known all of First John because I would have been like, interesting that you say that. People who said they don't have sin in them, they are a liar. But I, you know, I wasn't ready for it. So maybe I'll go back someday. But anyways, so we look forward and we go, listen, I, I know I don't do it perfectly, but I am not, I don't have to pretend as if I'm not united to Christ already. I am. The kingdom has been unleashed. And then we look backwards and we say, yo, sin and death, you're not as powerful as you thought you were because I am united to the perfect God man who took you out. So therefore, I don't have to keep going on sinning because I've been freed from that because of my union with Christ. So I know what this brings us. I know it then brings us to, okay, so you say all that, but the, it remains that some of us just really deeply struggle. We all know addicts. Uh, we all know people who have chosen lifestyles. We all know um, folks who have who have said, man, if this is my Achilles heel and I'm tired. I'm tired from the battle. Um, one of the things that John does that's really beautiful for us in this passage is the verb tenses are so important to John. And John is a really profound writer, and he he uses the present tense verb because he's using this verb form that is like this continuous, habitual manner without break, without end, that this idea that when you walk in sin, habitually and unrepentantly. So 
I don't think, I really don't, gang, I don't think John is talking to the sinner who is losing their battle. I just don't. I, I, I think there is scripture that says, listen, you are not, you are not um, too weak. There is no temptation to seize you except what is common to man, and God will give you a way out. I'm not, I'm not saying we can make light of our sin. I'm not. I don't. I, I think sin is a huge stinking deal, and I think plenty of us need this reminder from John that, listen, if you belong to Christ, you need to act like it. I, I think that's true. I don't think we get to be casual about sex. I don't think we get to be casual about partying. I don't think we get to be casual about fraud or lying or racism or xenophobia or, uh, you know, pornography. I don't think we should be casual about sin ever, ever, ever because of who we belong to. But I think this is more of a response to the false teachers and a polemic against that because context is king. And so listen, if you are really struggling and you think that this passage means that God no longer loves you or you don't belong to Christ, there are other passages I can point to that say, look, he holds on to you. He loves you. He's with you. He's near you. And he will help you in your present trials and time of need. So if I were to go back to that guy on the corner and he pointed this to me, and he said, this is, this is how I know that you're not a believer. I think I would rightfully also point him to other passages. But I think I would also be armed with the information to say, hey, bro, this is responding to a specific kind of teaching. And that's why John doesn't pull punches, because these false teachers came in here and said, you can have Christ and you can have your forbidden cake and eat it too. And I think John the pastor is saying, that's not how it works. Sin is a big stinking deal, and we need to root it out of our lives. But if you struggle, know that there is hope and grace and mercy for you in the kingdom of God. So reach out, confess your sins, seek help, and know that God still loves you. He still loves you. And he will give you his, his people and his, and his spirit and his, his energy, his life to you to help you overcome. But we need not fear. And so our big so what, I know I've gone really long today, but I, I keep saying that, so maybe the podcast is just getting longer. But um, the so what I think is this, is I really do think sin is a big deal. I do. And it's hard as a pastor because I take seriously the work of Christ in us, the power of the Spirit in us, the work of the Father in us. So like, like we don't do much. We live vicariously through the mediator that is Jesus, but we have to agree with him. And so while while the sanctification process is is initiated and and sustained and strengthened by the power of God in my life, I still have to agree. I don't think we get to be like the false teachers and say, well, yeah, I mean, in the end, I'll be made like Christ. So right now, like, let's have a little fun. No, no. And so if there is unrepentant sin in your life, I would seek you, I would, I would exhort you to seek help, to confess, um, to find healing, to find healing for you. Um, but if you're on the other side of that and you're in the midst of it and you're struggling and sin just seems to be strangling you, you need to know that God still loves you. He does. And, and there, there is hope for you in this struggle. There is hope for because Christ always gets the final say. Your sin doesn't. Death doesn't. The enemy doesn't. Christ gets the final word. If nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. Way more importantly, God does. Peace out, friends.